welcome to Origins, a podcast about the money behind the money. This podcast is created by Notation, a pre-seed venture capital firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We invest in amazing technical teams and projects in New York City on day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Season three of Origins is sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank and Carta, formerly known as eShares. We use Carta and Notation and recommend it to all the startups we work with. But something you might not know is that Carta has a product for LPs too. Carta for LPs allows you to easily sign, send, and store K1s, manage capital calls, review investment KPIs, and more. To learn more about Carta, go to carta.com. Silicon Valley Bank is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors, with a dedicated practice for emerging managers. They've been friends and partners to Notation since the beginning. To learn more about SVB services, visit svb.com. I'm Nick Charles, a partner at Notation, and I'm here with Leah Buskey, who is a general partner at Fuel Capital. Before Fuel, she was the co-founder and CEO of TaskRabbit for more than eight years, and previous to that, worked at IBM as an engineer. Just one quick note before we start. It's worth mentioning that this podcast was recorded about six months ago. It's now April, spring 2018, and Leah has been a general partner at Fuel Capital for over a year now. Leah, psyched to have you. Thanks for having me. All right. So to dig right in, could you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, discovered technology, maybe a little bit about your experience at IBM too? Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll take you way back to the beginning. Take us back. Okay. Um, so let's see. I was always interested in math and puzzles and got really interested in computers in high school where I met my husband, actually. Oh, yeah? Me too. Yeah. Really? My you wife. met my husband in high school? My wife. That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're high school sweethearts. Uh, he was really into computers um, and his dad worked at IBM. Uh, actually, a small startup called Iris Associates. And then we were all bought by Lotus and then merged into IBM, but that's kind of a longer story. Mm -hmm. But he was very technical in his house. Not so much in mine, but I had the inclination. And so Friday nights in high school were spent like building computers, nice. weekends shopping so for motherboards. You and your husband were computer nerds together. We were. That's awesome. We totally were. That's great. <laughs> and so um, I went on to college. I went to school. So I grew up in the Boston area. And then I went to school in Virginia I went to a small women's college called Sweetbriar College, which I sit on the board of now. Um, I think it's a really, uh, really special school. Yep. Tiny, um, under a thousand students okay. and liberal arts. But that's where I really um, fell in love with computer science. And so I ended up majoring math, computer science. And then just to round things out, I was also a minor in dance. So, okay. <laughs> so Good. growing up, Good. yeah, I wasn't a total, total focus nerd, but, <laughs> right. um, yeah, growing up, I always did ballet and it was actually something that was always a big part of my life. And so it was great to be able to do that through college as well. And then 
Um, after Sweetbriar, I graduated and I started at Iris Associates. So okay. Iris was Ray Ozzy's company. We mm-hmm. were the original developers of Lotus Notes mm-hmm. and Domino. Right. Wow. Okay. So kind of way back in the day, I mean, I was working on um, programming in C++, legacy code that had been around for a couple decades. Right. right. It was super fun. And this is right out of college. Right out of college. Learned a ton. Um, But pretty quickly after starting at Iris, we all got merged into IBM, like within six months. Mm -hmm. So the majority of my time was spent. And was this out west? Actually, it was back in the Boston area. So uh, Lotus had a huge presence in Cambridge. Okay. And then um, the Iris Associates offices were out in Westford, Massachusetts. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So um, spent my time as a programmer there. I worked on the Domino server platform and loved backend coding. I was more of like the backend algorithms type person, less like right. front end, make it pretty. Right. Um, Which makes sense, I guess, given your background in math. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, and so loved my time there. Uh, learned a ton. This was a time when you're shipping um, CDs, burning CDs, mm-hmm. packaging, shipping them all over the mm-hmm. world. So what's interesting about that as a programmer and developer is that code that I would check in to the code base today would not be used by a customer for 18 months. Right. And so it actually really taught me a lot about discipline around code integrity and writing great code and being really careful about what you release. There was a release room and a build room. And if you screwed up the code base that day, like you had to go in as the engineer and fix it. and Everybody's watching (laughs) you and it was super high pressure. Um, so that was a great experience. And obviously after you ship it, you can't like do a fast fix if, no. if there's something wrong. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could cost right. the company like right. millions of dollars. Right. right. So it was, um, it was a really great learning experience and I spent eight years there. Uh, I spent a long, long time there, but I would say sort of five years in, I was sort of getting antsy. I was starting to feel like I had these other skills that I wasn't really using on a daily basis. Um, and so I started, my husband, Kevin and I started brainstorming different ideas Yep. and we did that literally for a couple of years. And he, uh, was working at IBM at the time too. He left and he started joining all these really fun startups in the Boston okay. area. Okay. Um, he joined like three different healthcare companies. He was always the first employee building all their infrastructure and IT. And then, so I watched him have all of this fun while I mm-hmm. stayed at IBM mm-hmm. And then um, we had the idea for TaskRabbit. Okay. You did together. We did. Yeah. We were, so we were sitting at home. We were living in Boston at the time. It was February of 2008. I remember it was February because it was cold and snowing outside. It was like one of those blizzard years Mm -hmm. in Boston. And um, at the time we had this hundred pound yellow lab named Toby. It's a giant dog. It's awesome. And um, we kept him very well fed. He was a big guy. And that night we had called a cab to come pick us up, take us across town to meet friends. And we realized we're out of dog food. Okay. And we're like, how are we going to get this dog food? Right. And it's such a simple problem. Like, why isn't there a simple solution? But in 2008, the iPhone had just come out four months earlier. There was no app store. No one was building on location-based platforms. No one was leveraging Facebook or the social Mm -hmm. graph. The idea of jumping into a stranger's car off the street was insane. Mm-hmm. Like no one yeah. would do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was a completely different time. 
But um, we got really excited about the idea, particularly particularly around the emerging technology, social location and mobile, mm-hmm. and how we could build something that matched people in the real world to get real things done. And so um, four months later, I quit my job at IBM. Wow. wow. So it was like, yeah. it was one of those ideas you had um, together. And then I assume you just like, couldn't stop thinking about it yeah. day to day, week to week. Yes, yeah. exactly. And and I'm, um, I don't know, my personality is kind of like when I hit something that I get really excited mm-hmm. and really passionate about, mm-hmm. like I will, I will really focus. I will go deep on it. And that's what happened. And Kevin, my husband, he was like, yeah, this is super interesting. But I was really the one that like took it and ran right. with it and like would right. not let go of it. Right. So, so where did you start? So mm-hmm. you have this idea that you've become obsessed with. I guess your your husband had a little bit of experience with startups, mm-hmm. but at the time, two thousand eight, way fewer resources available for for founders and blogs and um, everything that you find today. Um, so where did you start? Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. Right, number one. <laughs> you knew that. I guess. I guess you knew that you had to leave your job. I, yeah, I knew so. I wanted to leave IBM. Right. right. You know. And I, I stayed for about four months, which it actually doesn't seem like that long of a time. Uh, I think that was a good time to leave. But um, I, I one, talked to anyone who'd listened to me because I was so obsessive about this right. idea and wanted right. to talk to people about right. it. And you weren't, you knew, at least you knew enough where you weren't like hiding the idea. Like no. you, you wanted to go talk to everybody. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I felt early on the risk versus reward there. Like it, right. it just makes right. no sense. Right. And so, um, I don't know, there were a few folks that had left out, left Lotus, mm-hmm. left IBM, mm-hmm. I kind of networked with that were doing startups now. I was like, what, like, what are you doing? And I remember one woman, um, her name is Melissa Leffler. Um, God, I haven't like talked to her in the, probably a decade. Um, but <laughs> hey, she was, Melissa. Hey. She was at um, Lotus early right. days. And then she left and she was a VP of engineering in a bunch of different startups. And I remember having coffee with her in the Cambridge side Galleria outside the Lotus building. And she was like, have you ever seen a startup before? And I'm like, no. She's like, well, do you want to come over to our office and check it out? And I was right. like, okay. Right. And I remember walking in and it was just like eight desks in this like exposed brick yep. building in yep. Cambridge. And, uh, you know, all these programmers, headphones on, like jamming away. And she's like, this is what a startup looks like. And I was like, whoa, this is super cool. <laughs> I remember seeing the the Tumblr office probably around that time in New York. Yeah. And it was literally mind-blowing. Like a bunch of kids yeah, working right. on whatever the hell they wanted to work on. Someone gave them money to do it. I mean, it was it was mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I had that same experience. And so, I don't know, those little moments, I think, gave me the confidence just to go forward and to to start building. And I was an engineer, so I knew how to build it. Right. And that's where I started. Right. I just so, started building. Uh, and so so you left your job. Um, you stayed in Boston, I guess, um, yeah. for a little while. Um, and just nights and weekends, you started you started building it. Yeah, those first four months, it was nights and weekends. Um, but pretty quickly, I left and right. just did it full time. Yep. And yep. basically, I had the idea in February 2008. Um, by June, mm-hmm. I quit IBM. Mm-hmm. And then between June and September, I basically locked myself in my house yep. and just coded. Yep. Um, Desktop? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Yeah. It. Yeah. I think I was like an IBM machine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you got the product to market. Yeah. Um. 
did you just did you just launch it or did you go think about raising capital or yeah no like capital investors weren't right. even in my right, right. like mindset yeah, yeah. they weren't just even get, in my just get a product to market yeah. get get users and customers and charge them and build a business that, that's all i knew how to do <laughs> right. i mean so sounds, yeah sounds I like was, the right way to do it i i guess it worked yeah. out yeah um so i was living in charlestown at the time which is one uh small neighborhood of boston one square mile and so i basically launched it in charlestown and i went to this group of moms in town the charlestown mothers organization yeah. they pretty much run the neighborhood and I was like, hey, you guys seem really busy. Would you use a service like TaskRabbit? Yep. They're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. But here are my concerns, like safety, quality. Mm. And so I started iterating on the product with them and basically built it for them. Mm-hmm. And then got it launched with the Charlestown Mothers Organization. And then the moms in Charlestown started talking to the moms in Beacon Hill and Back Bay and mm-hmm. Brookline. And I started to recruit more taskers all over the city. Right. And then right. it just kind of spread from there. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So when did you think about, at what point did you start thinking about maybe hiring someone or a team or raising capital? And I think at some point you moved out west as well. Yeah. I mean, I think the really big sort of turning point was um, I had heard about this incubator program okay. that Facebook was running okay. in California in the summer of 2009. Was that the Facebook fund? Yeah, FB right. fund. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. I remember that. And it was backed by Founders Fund and Excel. And um, Scott Griffith, who at the time was the CEO of Zipcar, he was letting me work out of his office for free, which was awesome. He told me about it because he actually at the time was cutting a deal with Zimride, John Mm -hmm. and Logan's company, which now is Lyft. Right. And so I met John Zimmer at the Zipcar office. John is like, oh, yeah, you should totally apply to Facebook Fund. And... um, he sort of back-channeled, and I applied and did the interview and got it. Got it. And that's what really pulled me out to the Bay Area in 2009. And then from there, the ca- it was the catalyst, really, to raise a seed round of funding um, at the end of that program. Got it. Uh, and, and you chose to stay. I did. You know, um, at the time, it was— do you was, have kids at the time? No. no. This okay, was, so it was much, way pre-kids. Right, right, right. Yeah. So a very, you know, like a different time in my life in yeah. general. Um, I, I mean, if you told me in my 20s I'd be building a company that I would still be building in my 30s and then like right. sell right before I was 40, like right. I would not have believed you. It's, <laughs> right. it's kind of a crazy right. long journey. Right. Um, but the thing about the Bay Area, I think that attracted me was I had been bootstrapping the company. 2008, 2009 was a really, really tough time to be raising mm-hmm. money. I mean, mm-hmm. no one was writing checks. Yep. And particularly consumer internet in Boston mm. was particularly hard. Mm. Um, Facebook had just left Boston and the East Coast and gone west right. Like within the last year right. or two. Um, and so I talked to a lot of investors um, there, but they just they weren't in the right mindset to really jump on the social bandwagon yep. at the time. Now right. that's changed dramatically. Right. And so when I came out West, the incubator program started talking to investors in the Bay Area. Um, they were really excited and they really got mm-hmm. it. And I found the support that I needed. Mm-hmm. And so Ann Mirico from Floodgate Fund led that round, Steve Anderson from Baseline Ventures, and then Rob Hayes from First Round Capital. So three amazing- 
yeah, early stage seed investors got behind me. And then, you know, it just kind of built from there. You mentioned having that initial kernel of the idea one night in Boston. As the idea and company evolved, what were some of the things in that initial kernel that you think were like spot on? And what were some of the things that you discovered were maybe wildly <laughs> yeah, incorrect? There's a lot on both both ends of the spectrum. So one of my first biggest surprises was Boston is a great college town. There's all these college students. These college students are going to want to get paid like $5 to do these small jobs and errands, and they're going to want to make a ton of money on the platform, and it's going to be all college kids. Right. Never the case. Hmm. Um, I put an ad on Craigslist for like the first cohort of taskers, and I got stay-at-home moms, retirees, mm -hmm young professionals that wanted to supplement their incomes. Right. And so it was just such a wide range of people. That was the first big surprise and big learning. And so product had to be thought about differently, pricing differently. The needs were different. Um, so that was kind of interesting. On the flip side, I would say that the actual core vision for what was possible with those technologies, social, location, and mobile, that vision never changed. It hasn't hmm. changed to this day, right. to the very end. So that's pretty exciting to think about because I saw these emerging technologies and I was like, you should be able to pick up your phone mm -hmm. and instantly connect with someone in your geography around a service, around a task, around right. an errand. Like that should right. just be possible. Right. And um, over the course of the next eight to 10 years, that only became more possible and technology developed in a way that made that experience even better. So that was exciting to see. Um, it was a that was a cool journey to kind of go through to know that the original idea had legs. Yeah, me. yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk a, a bunch about fuel. New gig. Um, congrats again Thank on you. Uh, super exciting on being a new general partner there. Lots of founders in Silicon Valley and San Francisco have kind of angel investing gigs on the side. Had you done any angel investing before Fuel? And if so, maybe where did you start? Mm -hmm. A little bit. A little bit, Not yeah. a ton. Um, and Chris, so my partner Chris, the founder of Fuel, and I have talked a lot about this. Again, my personality is when I'm in something, I am like right. 150% right. in something. Which is great. And I think most investors and VCs hope that the founder that they're backing is all in on the... Yeah. on their main thing. Right. But you do see now this whole proliferation of everybody in the Valley now angel investing. As yeah. Well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was pretty focused on building my company, but here and there I made small angel right. investments. I tried to more so than angel invest. I tried to be a, an advisor and yeah. a mentor um, to, you know, younger founders, particularly if they were female founders, you know, I just felt a, uh, a passion and obligation and a duty to kind of help pull those people up. Um, and so a couple companies that I invested in um, were actually one in New York. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a hardware company. And it was around the time I was having my second child. And it was, um, it is a device uh, utilizing computer vision to do baby monitoring. Mm. It's called Nanit. Yeah. Um, and so that was, 
that is an interesting story because, again, I started with the technology. It's like computer vision's emerging, and these baby monitors these days are all just mm. super crappy. And mm. now I'm having my second child, and I don't want to go buy another crappy monitor. Right. And so I started doing some research on what was available, what was out there, found the company. They were raising a seed. And I basically was like, can I put in a little angel money? Right. I'll advise, whatever, right. you know, on the side. So it was more so that type of angel investing um, because I was still so focused on TaskRabbit. When I transitioned my role out of the day-to-day -day into chairwoman, I was like six months pregnant with Ryan, my second. And that gave me time and space to actually mm -hmm. think about doing more angel investing. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of ramped up things okay. then. And that's that's actually what gave me the time and space and confidence to jump into venture as the next stage of my career as well. So you used it in some ways maybe as a as a trial period. Do I like this? Do I think maybe I'd be good at this? Um, as you were maybe considering a job in venture? Is yeah, that right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had been sort of pulled in the direction of venture, you know, over the years, but definitely more so when I had the time off. Yep. And so I used that time to really think about um, if it would be the right fit for me. It wasn't an obvious, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to transition my role at TaskRabbit and I'm going to go be a venture investor right. somewhere. Right. Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. Yep. So you start thinking about a role in VC post TaskRabbit. I assume a number of Silicon Valley firms are courting you. Um, I'm very curious to maybe if you could talk a little bit about what that courting and dating process looks like. Um, I think, well, both myself and maybe the Origins audience would be curious to, to know what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's kind of interesting because I, the way I operate before I can make a decision on something, anything really, is I like to look at all the options, feel like I've gotten about 80% of the data. Sure. And then once I hit 80%, I can feel pretty confident about making a decision. So I knew that with a decision like this, one, it's a really, it's a big decision because I knew that whatever I did next, I wanted to spend a decade or more beyond right. doing whatever it was I was going to be doing. I'd spent eight years as a programmer at IBM. I spent nine years building TaskRabbit. Right. right. I was like, Damn. this is it. Right. <laughs> like, I've had right. three jobs in my life, right. right? This is the third. This is not the millennial resume where you're, like, at a job every year. No, I yeah. just, it's it's just not how I'm built. Yeah. And so, um, so I knew that I needed to take a lot of time to figure out what that was going to look like and be really confident about the decision. So I did take the time. I took... 12 months, and I started getting a bunch of inbounds from different funds, different people. I went and talked to people I really respect in the industry, like Rob Hayes at First Round and mm -hmm. Ann Mirico at Floodgate and mm -hmm. Steve Anderson at Baseline, my early, early investors. I spent a ton of time with them just trying to understand the landscape and how to think about it. And, you know, I texting Ann, I'm like, hey, I'm going to meet these folks tomorrow. Like, what are your thoughts? What do you think? Right. And so the process was um, a lot of meetings, a lot of um, like an hour, an hour and a half, sort of, I would say, surface level meetings, followed by meet more of the partnership. You right. come back, you meet sort right. of all the partners. Right. Then maybe like you spend time like in a partner meeting or like in the whole group together. Um, the social aspects as well. I mean, mm. because you're joining a partnership, 
Um, and because you're joining and this is something you're going to do for a long time, um, the culture, the people are really important. So finding ways to get together in social environments and understand like, Hey, do I really like these people? Yeah. Do I want to spend my days, all my time with them? Um, so it was a lot, just a lot of meetings, a lot of networking, a lot of spending time with folks. And like, you can tell, I feel like for me, how I prioritized, um, my search was people, most important thing. Mm -hmm. And then I started to hone down on sort of stage, size of fund, um, stage they invest in, those those different yep. attributes that helped me get clarity around where to focus. So I, I would say I started broad and I talked to everyone. Yep. And then as I got more and more data, I was able to hone in on where I thought I would be the happiest and where I could add the most value. Um, so how did you start the conversation with Fuel and Chris? Um, and what um, what did you find exciting? What do you find exciting about the firm today? Yeah. So um, Chris and I were introduced by Megan Quinn, okay. who's a mutual friend. She's a growth investor at Spark Capital. And Megan had known that I was talking to a bunch of funds. She was one of the people I spent time with to you know, get feedback from. And I remember she texted me one day and... I was at home with the baby, like running around and Megan texts me and she's like, Hey, do you know Chris Howard? Um, and they're like, I'm in between things. I'm like, no, I have, I've never heard of him. Who's right, Chris? Right. It's like, she said, well, he runs this early stage fund. Um, he's sort of under the radar. He's pretty low key. That's probably why you haven't heard of him, but you guys should meet. You'd really hit it off. And so she had just met with Chris and Chris had told her that he was starting to think about thinking about adding a partner to the fund. And so it turns out um, he lives uh, one town away from me on the peninsula. Mm -hmm. And that made it really easy for me to say, yes, I'll go meet him because at the time I think my baby was like three months old. I wasn't super like getting out of the house all the time, you know, but I was like, Oh, he's the next 10 over. We'll go meet for coffee and see. And we just really hit it off. From the beginning. And I think what I realized is at that point, I had sort of spent six months or so talking to a bunch of different firms and funds. And so I had enough data points to know when something stood out as unique or special. And Chris and Fuel were unique and special. Um, And in what ways? I mean, he he just... um, his integrity, yep. his values. I mean, you know Chris. He's the best. He's the best. He's right? the best. <laughs> Seriously, everyone who knows Chris yeah. Yeah. says he is the best. Yeah. And he is. Like, yeah. so I met him. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy is like really special and really unique. And he's doing something really different. Um, at that point, I had started honing in on I'd be really happy doing early stage investing, doing seed. Mm. I felt like that was my favorite time at TaskRabbit when we were under 20 people and we were super scrappy and just building. And I kind of wanted to be a part of that stage with companies that I invested in. And so, you know, he was just sharing with me the philosophy around fuel and he had founded it four years ago. And he told me the story of founding fuel and how he came down from Seattle. He has three little boys. He slept on another investor's couch for like a year, like super scrappy. Yeah. And it reminded me of the early days of starting TaskRabbit. 
And I just realized that we had a lot of aligned and shared values around being scrappy, around building, around putting the founder first. And then when we dug into it some more, his background uh, before venture is all on the marketing brand uh, advertising side. And then I'm more technical computer right. science math. Right. And so the two of us together between his investment experience, my operational experience, and then sort of the the power alleys that we play in um, are very complimentary. Yeah. So we, um, our personalities just kind of hit it off from the start, lots of shared values, and then very complimentary to each other. And so we started spending more and more time together. So that coffee meeting like in November of last year turned into like, oh, let's meet like once a week. And then it was like, hey, do you want to come by the office after the new year, like a couple times a week? And then, hey, do you want to start looking at companies together? And then it just kind of organically right. formed into this place where right. we both felt very confident about right. making it official. Right. That sounds great. Um, happy, happy ending to it. A search. You've um, known Chris for a long time. So I've known Chris for a long time. I really do think he's yeah. one of the best in the whole business and yeah. feel very fortunate to know him and have done um, some co-investing with him. So how do you go from like, hey, I think we both kind of want to work together, maybe full time, to like, what are the what are the what are the things or questions that you have to ask that's like, all right, let's do this now? Yeah. And what does that mean for a firm, maybe both philosophically and also structurally, going from a single GP partner firm that Chris has run for the last four years to, hey, now we're two people running this firm together. What are some of the things that you have to ask and, and, and do when you're actually like moving forward with that? Because I assume that is a little bit structurally different, obviously, than going from a partnership of seven to eight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, Fuel is Chris's baby, just like TaskRabbit was my baby. And so I had a lot of empathy mm -hmm. for where he was sitting mm -hmm. as the sole GP, as the founder of this firm. Um, and I understood sort of where his mindset was. So it was a couple of things. I think the first thing was we spent a lot of time thinking about, we drew up a manifesto for Fuel. And we yep. did it separately first, hmm. and then we came together, and we thought about what do we want this firm to look like in 10 years, in 15 years. Um, right now, we're investing out of Fund 2, which Chris raised two years ago. Yep. Um, and so we're thinking about Fund 3, but we're also thinking about Fund 4, Fund 5, mm -hmm. Fund 6. Mm -hmm. And so we spent a lot of time um, sort of from a cultural values mission vision standpoint, making sure that the two of us would be aligned moving forward in what we want to build. Mm -hmm. And so um, the other thing I think that was helpful is when Chris raised Fund 2, he had talked to all his LPs in the beginning about this being the fund he wanted to add a partner to. Yeah. And so he had been super transparent, I think, and very open from the beginning on his journey uh, for fuel that he didn't want to always be a solo GP, that he wanted to come down from Seattle, establish his footing, gain access to companies, build a network. That was all about fun one. Yep. In fun two, you know, he sort of said, this is this is the fund I want to add a partner to. Um, I'm going to start talking to people. And so actually, when I was doing my diligence on fuel, um, and other funds I was chatting with, 
I talked to the LP community and it was really interesting to get LPs perspective on fuel, on other funds. Um, Mm. And they were all really supportive, not only of Chris and fuel, but with the idea of bringing on a second partner to the fund. So that was great. So in other words, when he called up the LPs and said, Hey, there's a new person here. It was not a surprise. No. And in fact, there were a couple LPs in the fund who I had met through my own process. Okay. Okay. Um, who actually said, like, yes, you should go join Fuel. Like, okay. Got yeah. it. So maybe they were even part of the process. Yeah. In some way. A- absolutely. Right. So that was helpful. Um, how do you think your investment style maybe is similar or different than Chris? And how do you think that those styles might evolve over time? Like, are you guys. Do you guys want to invest in all the same companies or because you talk about being aligned in terms of vision and future of the firm, but do your specific investment styles maybe look different? Yeah, they do. Yeah, Yeah, they're definitely a little different. And I think that was the other thing we were both looking for. I think when Chris was thinking about who to bring on, he talks about he wanted to find someone whose network was overlapping maybe by like 20 or 30 percent but could expand Mm, what fuel was looking at. And for me, I wanted to go somewhere where I felt like I could bring a new perspective, bring a new network, bring new access. Um, Because I've I've built a unique network over the course of building TaskRabbit for a long time, right? And so when we looked at our networks, um, it was, it's about a 20, 30% overlap. You know, Megan Quinn introduced us. We hadn't heard of each other before, hadn't ever met before. But um, we, and I would say our investment styles kind of overlap in the same way. So Chris has built an amazing track record in infrastructure companies, dev tools. Um, And with my background in engineering and math and programming, like I love looking at those companies. But sort of my my power alley in the areas I get passionate about are marketplaces because I built one. Um, Consumer. I love consumer. Mm -hmm. I love the fickleness of consumer. Mm-hmm. I've I've loved building TaskRabbit and understanding the consumer mindset and how it's shifted and changed um, so much over the course of you mm. know eight or nine years. Right. And so, um, and then there's some business software um, that Fuel has done as well, where we both kind of overlap. So we overlap, but I think we also have sort of um, separate passion areas. Uh, but overall, we're generalists, and so we love looking at companies together. But we'll go out and we'll source and we'll vet on our own. You've been a VC for almost a year now. Is that right? Well, I mean, technically... Six months? Yeah, technically six months. Okay, so we'll have to have you uh, back on Origins Season 6 or something many years from now to understand how it it went. But even six months in, um, what have maybe been some of the um, most exciting things and maybe some of the biggest learnings or surprises or things that haven't gone as well, given the fact that it is a new... I know it is new. I mean, things that um, people would tell me all the time, uh, investors that I really respect were like, you're not going to know if you're good at this Mm -hmm. for a decade. Right. Uh, There is no feedback. There's no feedback loop. Um, You're going to be constantly feeling like you're failing because you're just never going to know. And so you kind of have to be okay with that. You Mm -hmm. have to be okay operating in that space, which I am okay with. Um, so I sort I feel like I went in sort of eyes wide open on that aspect of it. Um, 
you know, things that I've gotten really excited about, um, deals that Chris and I have won together have been really exciting um, in a couple regards. So, you know, early on, um, we were meeting with a founder, actually New York-based founder, and building a really cool company. And we were telling him about our backgrounds, Chris and I's backgrounds. And you could just see how much, how, because we were so complimentary. Mm, right. His eyes like lit up right. on all the areas that we could contribute to and help with and my operational experience and then Chris's brand marketing experience. And so just sitting there and being able to see that what we feel like we can bring to a founder and to a startup actually is resonating right. is really exciting for yep. me to feel and to see. Um, and so that's been awesome. I think, um, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a super competitive person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like to win. Mm -hmm. And so it's also- You and Chris are aligned there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You guys are going to be terrifying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, thank you. Oh yeah. I say that in the best way. <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah. I love that. No, we, we are, we're both very competitive. Yeah. We love to win. We hate to lose. And so, um, in looking at deals, like one thing that it hasn't been a surprise, but I, I would say the level of strategic competition in the VC community in like structuring how to put together deal, all these things do get very competitive at times. Yeah. I kind of love that. Yep. Um, I also love where we sit in the ecosystem, which is very collaborative, very friendly, because we're typically writing like 500K, 750K checks into seed rounds. Um, we don't typically lead. So we, we're, we're operating together with a strong syndicate, which I love. Um, but at the same time, there's like a yeah. competitive nature, like the yeah. pace like finding these deals before mm -hmm. anyone else, like mm -hmm. talking to the founder before anyone else. Mm -hmm. like, I love that. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So I, um, I, those, I guess, have been a couple like exciting pieces um, my first six months in, I would say. So we, we, we mentioned, we were talking a little bit earlier about how uh, LPs were involved actually in um, you both considering fuel and also uh, ultimately partnering with fuel. Um, when, and you said actually that you had met a few of them over the, over the years. Um, when did you first hear, hear of an LP? Cause you've spent most of your career as a founder and leading up to fuel, how did you think of them as a part of the broader community? Yeah, it, that's a really, really interesting question because as a founder, I didn't have a ton of exposure to LPs and I didn't, when I was taking money from my initial investors, I never stopped to think about where their money came from. Right. I never th thought about that they have investors too. Do you think that's important for founders to think about or ask? I don't know. I mean, did it change the way I operated and built my business? No. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot that a founder needs to understand and can get distracted with too. And like, Maybe the LP ecosystem isn't one they need to be super plugged okay. into and aware of. I don't know. Yeah. For me, and it worked out for me. Um, I would say the first time I realized that my investors had LPs was when I started to get invited to the annual meetings to present. Right. Right. Um, and so I did that a few times. I did right. it for first round and I did it for Founders Fund. Um, you know, I met um, some of Floodgate's LPs. And so um, that was the first time I realized that there's an ecosystem 
there's sort of a food chain or a supply chain or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got to follow the money all the way up. Yes. <laughs> what was interesting to me is I remember presenting at one of these annual meetings and I'm, like my investors wanted to like see what I was going to present and see the pitch. And I was like, I don't understand why. Right. right. <laughs> and now on right. the other oh, side, wow. I'm like, oh my God, I totally understand right. why. Right. Um, you know, they have to raise their next fund and show progress just like we do. Yep. Um, so that, um, yeah, that was kind of eye-opening, but also really helpful because over the years, then I started to get more and more exposure to the LP community. And I would say, I, I would say maybe early stage, it's not as important. As a company grows and scales, some of those LPs are great direct investors right. for later right. stages. Right. Um, and, and just to be, just to be clear for the, for the podcast meeting that as the company grows, some of those LPs could actually be direct investors in your company in like a series B or C or D yeah, round or something. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so that's helpful. Yeah. I think it's actually yeah. helpful to have those conversations at later stages. And then what was nice for me is that after I transitioned from TaskRabbit and started to think about venture, there was a group of LPs that I had stayed close to over the years that I could then go tap into and talk about right. Um, right. how they saw the landscape and ecosystem. And um, that was pretty eye-opening because, you know, different LPs like to invest in different pockets of the ecosystem. Some are really bullish on seed, some not so much. Right. Some would rather stay, you know, seri like pure Series A funds yep. or growth funds. Yep. And so it just depends. And so that was a helpful exercise for me to understand the ecosystem. So I assume now you've pretty much gotten to know all of Fuel's LPs. And as you mentioned, obviously Fuel will raise a number of funds in the future. Hopefully things go well. You mentioned briefly about maybe you and Chris having slightly different investment styles. Do you imagine you could have different views on Fuel's capital base over time? And how do you think maybe those might be similar or different? Well, I think... One thing I know that we're aligned on is, um, so I'll back up just for a second. So sure. Chris and I, before we actually decided to make things official and actually very early on in the process, we did this personality assessment together called the Hogan assessment. Yep. And it's something I've used throughout TaskRabbit with some exec coaches I've worked with. And there were two things, actually three things that stood out in that Hogan assessment. We're really aligned on altruism, which like on a scale of zero to 10, let's call it, um, both Chris and I were like at a six, like altruistic. We like to think that we're making an impact that's important to us. It's not a 10. And then on the sort of um, um, financial integrity and, and capitalism scale, we're much higher. Mm. We're like eight or nine. Mm -hmm. So we're very much aligned on fuel is a business and we're running a business and yep. we want to make sure that we're having a strong impact. And part of that impact is actually the LPs that we get to work with, mm -hmm. which is a really exciting perspective that as a founder, I wish I had understood a little bit more um, as well. Uh, we have a great LP base. So fund two uh, is really the first institutional fund right. that Chris raised. The first fund was more friends and family. 
And so we've got this great base of institutional investors and fund too. Um, it's pretty balanced across some family offices and some fund of funds and some endowments. And when you look at the impact that those endowments are having, that those having those family offices are having, mm-hmm. then it gets really exciting to think about how your the return on investment, you know, is going to children and it's going to hospitals and you know like so that's really really exciting to think about so i think that um we're really fortunate that we have an incredible lp base you know part of the diligence for joining fuel was understanding who that lp base right is right um and then it's exciting to think about as we grow over and scale over time you know we'll raise fund three next together there's some lps that i would love to bring into the fold that i have great relationships Mm -hmm. with that are having great impacts of their own so i think that there's room for it to evolve a bit still which was what i was looking for you know i i wanted to go to a place where i felt like i could add value and have an impact and be well aligned with what was already there right and and not just obviously on the investment side and working with founders, but also on actually raising the funds. Exactly, on, on the, the LP, LP side, side as well. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So there actually have been a number of women GPs that have joined funds in the last year, which I think is fantastic. Not nearly enough. How do you think about now as a gender balance firm? How do you think about diversity more broadly across the venture ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, this is a hot topic. Um, I felt this topic too as a founder, as a female CEO uh, in the Valley. You know, it's... it's, it's Just as in like 90% of the people that you pitched were dudes. Yeah. Right. I mean, and honestly, um, you know, TaskRabbit is a company that everyone understood very easily, very clearly. But that's not always the case um, with companies that are being built that are geared towards women. Mm-hmm. You look at Stitch Fix. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yep. um, that's a very female-centric, female-focused company. And, you know, Katrina's talked openly about the experience she ha- has had fundraising were different than mine. And I think um, everyone understood what TaskRabbit was immediately. And they saw the right. potential and they saw use cases in their own lives. Right. But that said, anytime I as a founder would walk into a room and saw a female GP at the table... Like, I couldn't help but get excited right. to be there right? and to know right. them right. and to pitch to them and hear their questions. And um, that was always really exciting for me to see and feel and be a part of. So I think that it's incredibly important and game-changing for the ecosystem to have more female general partners at funds across the board because we are going to see companies differently. We're going to ask different questions. They're going to resonate differently. Um, And there are so many companies and ideas that are out there just waiting to be built that are incredibly valid and incredibly impactful that, you know, frankly, without a female partner, like you're just going to miss. Right. And so I see huge potential, huge opportunity in opening up um, the ecosystem to founders, opening up what's possible. And actually, this is an area Chris and I both, you know, talked a lot about and agreed on. We just feel like there are so many entrepreneurs out there that don't fit the mold, that mm-hmm. don't have the pedigree. Mm-hmm. I didn't match a pedigree before I founded TaskRabbit. Mm-hmm. I didn't match any pattern. And so I think both Chris and I have this like a little bit of we've got a chip on our shoulder because of that, you know, and like we want to go find 
that next founder that would be overlooked, but is right. going to build a billion dollar business. Right. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I think that more women uh, partners at funds across the Valley are going to see things differently. We're going to, you know, pull up, pull up more companies and more people, whether they be women, whether they be minorities, whether they be anyone yeah. that doesn't match the mold. The other thing I'll say is I see so much momentum right now in this topic. Yeah. And I'm actually seeing the deal flow change in that mm. I think the female GPs at these funds, um, you know, they've gotten together. We're doing yeah. female founder office hours, different yeah. initiatives, different things that is creating proprietary deal flow mm. that mm. then only we have access to. That's awesome. Like, I mean, I don't know how yeah. else to say it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But um, through that network. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting and if you know we want these founders and these companies to get funded and get supported and so it's not to say we're not going to share and pass pass it pass it around but like it's actually starting yeah in a place that we are originating ourselves yep that's great um and it's definitely uh it's definitely um encouraging for um, for the industry yeah, exciting. more broadly that the female office hours I think is really cool they're doing it in New York too correct? they're doing it in yeah. New York yeah. um, they did it in San Francisco they're planning Boston and LA yeah. I mean it, this is going to be something that um, gains a lot of momentum and keeps going I was um, I was joking with another female GP that I feel like I feel so lucky that I'm joining venture at this time mm. I just feel like it's such a good time for women um, to get involved in this community. I mean, it may seem like a bad time on the surface, right? but actually, if you just think about all the initiatives, all the momentum, the open conversations everyone is having, yep. such a great time to be joining this community. Well, congrats again, Leah. Um, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Um, both myself and I think the community will uh, really enjoy the conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. This podcast was created by Nick Charles and Alex Lines, partners at Notation Capital. Notation is a pre-seed venture capital firm in New York. We work with technical founding teams in the trenches from day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Thanks to Carta for sponsoring this episode. eShares is now Carta. We use the product at Notation and recommend it to all the companies we work with. Carta also has a product specifically for LPs. Carta for LPs allows you to easily manage K-1s, capital calls, investment KPIs, and more. If you want to learn more about Carta for LPs, visit Carta.com. We'd also like to thank Silicon Valley Bank. SVB is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors. Their experts help innovators, enterprises, and investors move their bold ideas forward. Tap into the experience and connections of the SVB team for advice on strategic, operational and tactical issues, and limited partner insights. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC. If you like this episode, please share and remember to tag it with the hashtag OpenLP. We'd also like to thank Ben Glaue, who is our amazing audio engineer. You should work with him. You can find Ben on Twitter at visible underscore sound. <laughs>